It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Welcome back to Merry Britmas and the first Burr month of the year. It's September and it's basically Christmas now, really. The nights are drawing in, the weather's turning, festive things are creeping into shops, to the disgust of many, and the excitement of people like us, those who are in the right. I even bought my first festive snack some Cadbury's snowballs, bite-sized mini chocolates in a crisp sugar shell coated in a stuff that resembles snow. Very tasty. So this month, I'm going to look at a rather sad Christmas song from a 70s glam act. I'll explore why and how Christmas was banned back in 17th century England, and share my thoughts on one of the funniest modern sitcoms take on Christmas Day in a Jewish household with a strange neighbour. Glamrock and Christmas seemed to go hand in hand during the 70s. Bands like Wizard and Slade triumphed with colossal Christmas songs. Maybe it was the colourful, fun clothes, the sense of frivolity, but the genre seemed to just make fun Christmas tunes. Another glam band got in on the act in 1974, reaching Christmas number one and selling 750,000 copies. However, this wasn't a joyous romp. Mud were formed in 1966 in Surrey, but didn't make any dent in the chart until the early 70s. Their biggest song, Tiger Feet, came out in January 1974 and went to number one and is still a big party favourite here in the UK. same year, they recorded Lonely This Christmas, written and produced by Nicky Chin and Mike Chapman, a songwriting duo who worked with Sweet Susie Quattro and later Blondie and The Knack. That's where I'll be since you left me. My tears could melt the snow. What can I do without you? I've got no place, no place to go. It'll be lonely this Christmas without you to hold. It'll be lonely. Cold 
The song was deliberately recorded in the style of a late Elvis ballad, and many people and YouTube versions incorrectly label Elvis as the artist behind this song. The track is very slow and mournful, with the lyrics telling the story of a heartbreak at Christmas time. The protagonist is worrying about being lonely and cold without their love at the most loving time of the year. Things I see are emptiness and loneliness and an unlit Christmas tree. It'll be lonely this Christmas without you to The last verse even breaks down into a talky bit that focuses on the inner sadness of the speaker. You remember last year when you and I were here. We never thought there'd be an end. And I remember looking at you then. And I remember thinking, the Christmas must have been made for us. Because darling, this is the time of year that you really, you really need love. Despite this overwhelming sadness, without maybe the joyous music of a sad song like Last Christmas, it became a massive hit here in the UK, spending four weeks at number one. It's since become a mainstay on British Christmas radio and compilations. Well worth a watch is the band's performance on Top of the Pops, with a band dressed in white suits with fake snow and a weird ventriloquist dummy on the lead singer's knee for some reason, and then the final zoom out to some blokes on ladders pouring snow over the band. Check it out in the show notes. There are some very traditional but great covers of this song out there, so let's hear some. First up is a pop cover recorded live for BBC Radio 1 with Ollie Murs. Katie Tunstall recorded a more simple version in 2007. Uh, emptiness and loneliness and a Christmas tree It'll be lonely this Christmas without you to hold It'll be lonely 
Christmas, lonely and cold, it'll be cold. Something a lot slower and even more plaintive came from Aidan Moffat of Arab Street, who recorded a cover for his beautifully offensive Christmas record. Finally, one of my favourite indie bands of all time, the Welsh Los Campesinos, covered a great version for their brilliant Christmas EP in 2014. I can only assume you're somewhat fond of Christmas. So, what could be the worst possible thing that might send you screaming down a corridor like Kevin McAllister? How about Christmas being banned? 
If you ask what people might know about Oliver Cromwell, they may say he was a lawyer, he was very evangelical in reforming the Church of England, he was a minister to King Henry VIII, who ended up beheading him, after Cromwell found him Anne of Cleves, which did not work out well. Most of English history is basically a big soap opera. Well, there may be some out there who claim that he banned Christmas here in the UK. Well, though he may well have been somewhat responsible for something like a ban, it's a lot more complex, so let's try and get into it. From the Middle Ages, Christmas had grown into a very widely celebrated holiday, taking in revelry, drinking, dancing, gift-giving, and all sorts of fun activities from previous celebrations and cultures, wrapping them around the 25th of December for Christmas. If you want a more in-depth explanation of Tudor celebrations, I covered some of the key ideas and facts in my last episode, so go back and check it out. Basically, it was really popular, and full of rather mad celebrations. However, not everyone enjoyed this, which I know sounds odd to the likes of us. Puritans were the group that were at the heart of the story of banning Christmas. They were a widespread number of Protestants, who pushed the government and the people to adopt stricter Christian lifestyles, and attempted to generally banish and dismiss the ideas of Catholics. If I headed into the rabbit hole of the history of religious conflict here, it may take us the next hundred years of podcasts, and the Puritans themselves is a term that encompasses a vast range of different groups who had slightly different aims, ideas and approaches. So let's just leave it at the fact that Puritans really didn't like the way people were worshipping, seeing most people as not being pious and strict enough in their life and religious celebrations. So when the Puritans gained some political power and control in the UK, during and after the First English Civil War around 1642 on, they went about changing laws and life. So what was their specific problems with the best time of the year? Well, there were a few things. And as compl- well, there were a few well, there were a few things and as complex as it always is, different Puritans had different issues. One was that the date of 25th of December has no real biblical basis, so it wasn't strictly doctrine, and a large part of Puritan ideology was based on a strict biblical reading and interpretation. Also, the idea of Christmas had taken onboard elements of other religious celebrations from things like Saturnalia, which showcased themselves in drinking, feasting, partying, and things that were deemed not strictly Christian. They believed all of this, as well as things like gift-giving, took away from the real reason for the season, remembrance of the birth of Jesus and the Nativity. Also, they disliked the term Christ Mass tied it to a Catholic event of Mass, which was against their very ideology. So then Cromwell got up and banned it on his own, right? Well, no. He was a leading Puritan and a member of Parliament, and the Puritan-led Parliament did ban Christmas, or they tried to. Firstly, on 19th of December, 1643, they passed an ordinance that encouraged people to treat Christmas with solemnity and respect. They turned Christmas into a fast day in 1644 to discourage the usual celebrations. But they then went the whole way in 1647 by creating another ordinance that abolished the feast days of Christmas, Easter and Whitsun. They forced shops to open as normal, they banned feasting, church celebrations, carol singing, decorations, and soldiers even patrolled the streets in places like London at Christmas time to enforce these rules. Imagine a soldier ripping down your holly and tearing that carol book out of your hands. Historian Judith Flanders explains, 
the need was to say this is an ordinary day. If it's an ordinary day, you don't have greenery, you don't get drunk, well maybe, you don't eat to excess, you don't do all of the various elements which mark out Christmas. This law was on the books until 1660, when the restoration happened and King Charles II took to the throne and got rid of the ruling. Except, during this time, the celebration of Christmas didn't really stop. People didn't just give it up. In most of the country, people kept on celebrating. They couldn't perhaps do it in churches or in public, but they celebrated at home, potentially pushing it towards that more family and friend-orientated affair, echoing the idea of celebration we have nowadays. Christmas riots even broke out, with pro-Christmas people violently confronting Puritan opponents in the streets in places like London, Bury St Edmunds, Canterbury and Norwich. So it wasn't just Cromwell, it was more of a group effort, really. And it didn't really get banned. I mean, legally it did, but people still celebrated. You can't stop Christmas. Judith Flanders sums it up for us, why Christmas sustained and continued, and why we still love it today, in my opinion. What the church has done with its element of the holiday, it took on elements of the family focus, and religious and secular together worked for charitable ends to say this is a lovely holiday of family but if you're cold and hungry or on the streets it's perhaps a little less lovely and so together let us help those who are less fortunate and that was very much religious as well as secular when i first heard that simon bird one of the in-betweeners which was one of my favorite shows at the time was starring in a new sitcom for Channel 4 in 2011 called Friday Night Dinner. I was kind of interested, but also sceptical on how it could compete with the previous hit show. It starred Tamsin Grigg from one of my older favourite shows, Black Books, so I should have been right there watching from day one. However, I forgot about it in the mix of TV, and didn't really watch any of it until after Series 4 ended in 2016. It was a mistake to miss out, but I did get to binge on so many episodes, and then series 5, and eventually, after a brief hiatus, season 6 arrived. The premise is simple. A Jewish family of four come together for dinner every Friday evening, and ridiculous things happen. The family consists of Martin, dad of the family, played by Paul Ritter. Just t-shirt and knickers today, Dad. Yes, Merry Christmas, Bambino. And that's your Christmas outfit. My bottom was hot. Right. Yeah, it was... Really overheating. Jackie, Mum, played by Tamsin Grigg. Hi, Bobo. Happy Crimbo. Hi, Mum. House looks nice. Oh, thanks. They're gorgeous. Martin, has your bottom cooled down yet? Johnny, the younger son, played by Tom Rosenthal. And Adam, the eldest son, played by Simon Bird. Happy Christmas. Here he is. Happy Christmas, Bisface. The only other constant cast member is their neighbour, Jim, a bizarre man played by Mark Heap with his dog, Wilson. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus. Yes, Jim, um, sorry, uh, we don't really do carols. Carols, no. Because we're, you know, Jewish. Carols. Other characters such as Auntie Val and the grandmas drop in occasionally too. So in between series two and three, a Christmas special has the family coming together on Christmas Day 
despite their Jewish heritage. Come on, what? Well, I know I say it every year, but don't you think it's a bit weird we do all this Christmassy stuff? No, why is it weird? Uh, maybe because we're Jewish? Don't be silly. It's a tradition. A Christian tradition? It's not a Christian tradition, it's a tradition tradition. A tradition tradition that celebrates the birth of Christ. No, it doesn't. Uh, it does. Well, yes, okay, it does. But Christmas is just, you know, fun. And no one's really that excited about Mum's ever dry turkey. Your mother better not go on about my horrible dry turkey again. What? No, I'm sure she won't. Well, she does it every Christmas. What's wrong with my turkey? It's lovely. Yeah, I know, Jackie, it's delicious. Boys, my turkey's not horrible and dry, is it? No, not at all. Not one bit. Good. Well, she better keep her mouth shut then. It is dry though, isn't it? Oh my God, it's dry. So dry. The boys are happy to hear that Jackie's mother, Grandma, is coming. Unfortunately, the family also have Martin's mother, aka horrible grandma, coming as well. She's vindictive, cruel, snobbish, and just plain rude to everyone. Take my bag. Torture equipment. And you, take that. Body parts. But don't drop it. Hello, Cynthia. Give us some air, give us some air. She even brings her own turkey, which the boys secretly crave in response to Mum's horrid attempt. Jim, as always, pops around to butt in. And his last appearance in the episode, he arrives in full Santa costume. And then a strangely sentimental sweet moment brings some silence and some tears from the family, as Jim is asked to sing a Christmas carol, and he does. I, I suppose I could perhaps try this one. Silent night. Holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. Beautiful. Beautiful. Really beautiful. Again, as with last month, that British Christmas sentimentality on TV is always there in some of the best British comedy. Not overwhelming, not too sweet, just a moment or two like with Steve and his dad and him and her. Just enough to elevate the comedy and stretch that festive atmosphere into a more real and more honest place. It feels a lot more like the festive season itself, that mixture of comedy, silliness, sentimentality, love, and care. I seem to keep picking comedy Christmas episodes that I love, but that's because there are so many good British ones. I love the boys' relationship in the series, and it reminds me a lot of me and my brother, and the antagonistic squabbling that is based in love, despite what it may look like when they're putting salt in each other's drink or playing pranks. I love every quote that comes out of Martin's mouth, and often use his rude exclamations of annoyance in my day-to-day -day life. The show came back for another series this year, and I hope they have more planned or at least another Christmas special. 
one last thing before the end of show roundup. I've been thinking of doing some sort of ranking of the episodes and specials I discuss here, perhaps with a few factors such as how festive, sentimental, humorous or dark they are. If you think you'd enjoy this, then let me know, and perhaps I'll start next month, and do some backdated ranking too. So, the first Burr month is almost done, and October is close, which brings Halloween, another wonderful season, so I may have to crack out some spooky British Christmas things for next month. Three last shout-outs for a fun band and two great podcasts. The Hooves are a Welsh band, and they make exclusively Christmas music. Their first ever track, Hoof on the Roof, is really fun, and sounds like it belongs in a British Christmas film or special ASAP. also have a new song about Christmas in July too. There's another British podcast on the scene. Total Christmas Podcast is a funny romp through all sorts of things from festive specials to Australian Christmas songs to strange European creatures. Check it out. Also, if you've heard of those podcasts where film fans pour through a classic movie one minute at a time, you know what to expect from Santa by the Minute, a podcast where Bin and John take an episode a week to discuss a minute at a time of Santa Claus the Movie the best version of the big guy, from 1985. You won't believe how much there is to discuss every single minute. Also, over the last few weeks, I ran a World Cup of Christmas Doctor Who episodes, and a winner has been decided thanks to voters on Twitter. In fourth place is A Christmas Carol, with Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor from 2010, my personal favourite. Third place went to Twice Upon a Time, where Capaldi's 12th Doctor met the first Doctor in a timey-wimey mix-up. Second place and runner-up was Tennant's first full appearance as the 10th Doctor in The Christmas Invasion from 2005. And the triumphant winner, by one vote, was 2013's Time of the Doctor, where Matt Smith said an epic farewell whilst defending Trenzalore. Who the man? Oh, I'm never saying that again. Fine. It was really fun to do this, and I hope to run some more in the next few months. So keep your eyes peeled on Twitter. Get ready to vote. So, please rate and review the podcast if you haven't yet. That would be brilliant. And follow me on Twitter, Instagram, my Facebook page. They're all helpfully called Merry Britsmas. And until next month, farewell. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all.